I have loved you with an everlasting love. Love is as strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your steadfast love is better than life. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world. Uh, Merry Christmas. Welcome to, uh, to what we call our family gathering, the Cultivate Church, uh, really because we believe uh, that we are the church who gathers together. And so if you're visiting with us, you're not just visiting a building uh, or a particular time slot, but you're actually visiting a people who's gathered because we're the people of God. And we get to celebrate what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, and learn more about him so that we would fall more in love with him, so that we would live in such a way that we would be able to demonstrate with our lives and declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and that he's worthy and he, his love is better than any love that we could ever get from any other source. And so that's kind of what we celebrate when we get together pretty much every week. Um, and so specifically, we're, we're celebrating that in a, in a tangible way, maybe through the season called Advent. And if you've been around maybe the church uh, growing up or, or uh, if you've been involved at all, you may have been experienced in, in Advent or gone through Advent before. Advent, the word really just means a coming or an arrival of something. And so uh, during the season of Advent, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. And so we remember uh, the the enormity of Jesus, God's own Son, arriving to this world to to bring with him love and joy and peace uh, and and what's the third one? Hope (laughs) that we did last week, (laughs) the fourth one. Um, And we also anticipate, it's a season of anticipating the fact that God is going to return again. Uh, he's going to come back again. And so we're thankful that he came. We're hopeful that he's coming again. So la- last week, if you remember, we did cover hope, that with Jesus we, we see the arrival of hope, the advent of hope. And, and what we said basically is if your hope is in the next three weeks of this Christmas season, if you get like all amped up for Christmas because your hope is in it and you love this time of year and, and you just can't wait for December to roll around because it, it just, you know, sets you on fire, that, that source of hope is ultimately going to fail you because it will only last for a little bit of time. And so December 26th, you'll wake up and go, I have no more hope because the season's over. Or when I have to take down the tree, my hope is gone because the season is over. And so we, we want to have a source that's much greater for our source of hope. And it turns out that we have one in the Son of God. So this week we're going to look at love and the fact that uh, love, it, 
in terms of what God has said love is and shown what love can be is so much greater than the love that we often experience in this world. So that's the theme that we're going to concentrate on this morning. So we're going to continue in Luke 1. We started there last week. We're going to continue there this week. If you want to use one of our Bibles, it's on page 710. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you're free to take one of those as our gift uh, to you. Let me set it up just, just real quick so we know where we are. Last week what we found out is that Mary, uh, who, who was probably a teenage uh, virgin, she was uh, young and poor and, and born to a very poor family in an out-of-the-way place, an angel came and visited her and said, I have some great news for you. You are going to bear the Son of God to the world. He is going to be the Savior and the King of all creation. And... and Rather than produce in her terror, which is what it did to begin with, it, it actually produced in her hope because she started to hope that God maybe had something better for her than what she had been experiencing. And so after she receives this news, she goes away and she stays with her relative named Elizabeth, who was also pregnant. She was pregnant with who would be John the Baptist, who was going to be the forerunner to Jesus to tell people that this Messiah King, this anointed one had come. And, and in response, after she sees Elizabeth and they rejoice together and she gets encouraged by her, Mary sings this song. And so we're going to look at the song today and, t- and see what it tells us about God's love. So Luke 1, we're going to start in verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble ser- state of his servant." From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent away the rich uh, empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. One of the things that we often do at Cultivate is that um, we, we dialogue about th- some things. So I, I, I often ask questions, and they're, sometimes they're rhetorical, but oftentimes not. And, and so you get to actually respond and, and dialogue with us. So feel free to do that. Um, what, how does the world often define love? Diamonds. Yeah, if you watch any TV this time of year, if there aren't diamonds involved, then forget about it, right? According to the commercials. Or, yeah, or at least you're, you're not getting any kisses. That's, you know. <laughs> it's a feeling, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an emotion. So, so love is something that I fall into and fall out of. I just have no control over it. It just sort of happens to me. And if I'm feeling it, then I'm loving. And if I don't feel it, then it's not love, right? Do you ever hear somebody say that? I just, I'm just, I, ha- I fell out of love. Really? <laughs> yeah. What else? How does the world define love? Children? How so? Yeah, so, and childlike love is, is often a better quality of love, right? Because it's without pretense. It's sort of unconditional, right? 
And, and the inverse of that is sort of adult conditional love, right? You love me this way, therefore I will love you that way. And it's sort of a transaction. Uh, what else? Getting our needs met. Yeah, so it's kind of me-centric, right? Rather than others-focused. And so when we think primarily about love, we think, how am I receiving love? What are others doing for me or to me or, or whatever? Yeah. What you're getting back? Right, yeah, so we keep kind of an internal tally maybe in our minds and we keep accounts with everybody and we go, my account is really high with this person and their return isn't so high, so I'm going to put that love on hold for a little while and maybe love this person who's loved me well but I haven't loved them back and I'll try to increase the score to maybe settle things out. Do you ever do that game? Yeah. So let me ask the inverse to that then. Um, Those of you who know... Maybe the Bible, how it defines love. How, do, how does the Bible define love? Agape, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of a, uh, an unconditional love, right? It's a giving love, yeah, sacrificial, right? There are different words that are used for love in the Bible, but oftentimes those, those words are, are quantified or qualified with descriptives, right? Yeah, so it's an action, right? Yeah, so love and trust are very much intertwined, right? Now, where, if, you, if you were going to say to somebody, where should you go to look at what the Bible says about love? What oftentimes is the, the place that you go to? Yeah, so 1 Corinthians 13, which gets read oftentimes at, at weddings, um, but it's actually a passage that was written for the church. I don't know if you know that. But Paul, when he's writing to the, this church, he's writing to them because they're not doing a great job at loving one another. There are people that are gossiping against one another and slandering each other behind their backs. There are people that are, are sleeping around within the congregation, and he's saying that's not what love really is. Love doesn't think about me first. It thinks about the other person. There, there are people that are in quarrels and fighting because some, some people think that certain gifts are better than others, and so they elevate people above others, and they treat people unequally. And he's going, no, don't, don't forget what love is. And so this is what he says in response to some of those issues, he says, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So it's very different than what the world would define as love, right? And maybe what our experience of love has been. It's not this short-term emotional response that I kind of fall into and fall out of. Love is very different according to God. And so I, I would ask you, maybe on the front end of this, if you were going to be honest with yourself, how do you love people? If you were to think through your, kind of the landscape of your life, when it comes to your family, maybe your spouse or your kids, co-workers or a roommate or an enemy, somebody that's harmed you? How do you love people? Do you tend to love people with the love that Paul is talking about or do you tend to love people in a lesser way? See, the reason I ask that is because the love that God has for us, it meets all of those criteria. That's what I want to convince you of today. That's what we're going to talk about in terms of what love is. But here's the truth, okay? This is true of all of us. 
Every single one of us loves other people with the love that we feel that we have received. Do you catch that? We always love others with the same love that which we feel like we've been given. And so if we go through life and we feel like really well-loved by other people, then we tend to be really loving people towards others. But if, we, if that hasn't been our experience, then we tend not to be loving towards other people. The same love that you're given is the same love that you give. And so that's a real issue because for many of us, we're still letting our love be defined by how we've been loved or not been loved by other people. And so we go, I I haven't been really well loved. Like, my experience has not been good in this world. People have trampled me. They've taken advantage of me. They've betrayed my trust. Therefore, I will kind of close my heart off to other people. I'm not going to let them in. I'm not going to love them well. See, here's the thing, though. We need to shift our sense of being loved by others to being loved by God. We need to understand what He's done for us when He sent His Son. That has to be for us the way that we understand what love is about. Otherwise, our love is going to be tainted and incomplete and broken. We need our concept of love to be redeemed. And so Mary's understanding of love is if you notice from the passage, it's actually based on what God has done and who he is. And so she understands love this way. And so we're going to go through a few things. She understands this. First of all, that God's love is a gift. It's a gift. In other words, it's not earned. Listen to how she describes it. She says, The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy. If you're, another translation of that word mercy might be steadfast love. A love that doesn't give up. That kind of love, it extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And Mary, what she's doing is she's actually referring to this giving of love that that for her goes all the way back in her lineage from generation to generation. So she's thinking back, all these different people, all the way back to when God first said, I'm going to love you. And she's going, it's been a gift the entire time. And so she's thinking back to a time when her people were about to enter into the promised land that God was going to give them. And and God said, right before they go in again, I want you to remember why it is that I love you. Okay, you're about to go into this land. You're going to be a people. Your tendency is going to get to be really busy. Who's busy this time of year? You're going to get really busy and you're going to forget why I love you. And I don't want you to forget so I'm going to tell you again, and this is what he says uh, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 and, and forward. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people of the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Here's where it gets good. The, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other people's. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But, and don't miss this, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You hear what he's saying there? He's going, I I didn't choose you because you had something to offer me. I wasn't like, man... 
if, if I could just get the strongest warriors or the best traders or like the most smart people who are on the face of the planet, where are those people? I'm going to select them because they have the most to offer me. He's not doing that at all. He's going, actually, it was the opposite. You were the fewest of all people. You had the least to offer. So why is it that I love you? It's because I chose to love you. Isn't that weird? I love you because I chose to love you, and I always follow through with what I said I was going to do. Later on, he actually goes, you weren't even a good people. It's not like like you weren't even like morally better than the rest of the people, and I still chose you and made you mine. See, God's love is a gift. It's not based on what you've done to earn that love. It's not a response to how good you've been. He doesn't love you because he needs something from you or wants something from you. God loves you because that's who he is. And because that's who he is, his love is always a gift. So think, think for a second the kind of love that we often give and receive, especially this time of year. It's a transactionary kind of love, right? If you love me, then I'll love you. If you treat me well, then I'll treat you well in response. Whatever you do to me is how I'm going to respond to you. And what I want to submit to you is that that's not really love. That's a business transaction. Mary, when she thinks about this type of love, she's seeing a different kind of love altogether. She's saying, I I know that you were mindful of, of the humble state of your servant. I was low, and you came to me. I didn't have anything to offer you. I didn't deserve your love, and you came and you were mindful of me. I was poor, and you remembered me. Let me ask this. How many of you, when you're kind of giving out gifts on Christmas Day, um, you rank your kids and the people in your life, and then you give in accordance with how good they've been to you? Really? Sweet. So who gets coal <laughs> this year? <laughs> no? no? Nobody like... They were a 10, and so they're getting 10 gifts. This child was a 3, therefore they're getting coal. Anybody do that, parents? No, you don't do that. Wow. <laughs> Maybe you do, and you don't want to admit to it, right? See, why don't we do that? Because love is because it's a gift, right? And it, a gift cannot be earned, it can only be received. Then why in the world do we believe that about God who is far more loving than any of us? Why do we believe that He operates that way? I, I want to be clear with you God does not give you love based on what you've earned. And that's the best news that you can hear this morning because if it were based on what we've earned, it would not be good. In Romans 5.8, Paul reminds us this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't treat you in accordance with your sin. He extends love to those who need it. See, oftentimes the reason that we don't love others the way that we should is because we haven't either reminded ourselves or maybe experienced it for the very first time, the kind of true love that needs to be poured into our heart from a perfect father. 
See, we, we need God's love poured into us. Otherwise, we'll always love people with the love that we feel that we've been given by other people, which is always going to be broken and tainted and scarred. Because none of you are perfect, and that includes me. See, if we give others love as a gift, it's only because we can give it because we've received it already. See, in Christ, you've been given the greatest gift there is. And and I want to ask, do you believe that? See, when we forget that love is a gift, it's often going to result in us coveting the gifts of other people and what they receive and what they have. Uh, Yesterday, I was in the building here and... um, for, for a meeting, and Caleb was with me, and there were some other kids, and they were all kind of playing together by themselves, and I, I came up from the meeting just to check on them, and I went down the hallway, and uh, Caleb and another little boy who's his friend were, were fighting over two, like, little carts, because they were racing down the hallway together, unsupervised, but, <laughs> um, and, and, and Caleb, he wasn't satisfied with his Heart. He wanted the other ones because he was, I think he was convinced that it was better and faster, right? So he, the other little boy, Nate, he must have been winning all the races or something because he's looking at his cart going, I want that one. And so they're fighting. He's, you know, and Caleb over and over again, he's going, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And so I come into the, the midst of the situation. I get down and I'm like, wait, how t- time out. Why are we all fighting here? And he goes, it's mine. And I was like, how is this yours? <laughs> Like, how in any way, by any definition, could you call that yours? We're not even at home here. <laughs> I had to remind him, like, Caleb, like, none of this is ours. We, we, and, we, and by the way, we don't deserve any of it. So the, the one that you have is a gift. Be happy with the one that you have. Because it's not yours to begin with. And here's the thing. It's not just true when it doesn't belong to us. Everything that we own is a gift. All of it has been given to us, and all of us don't deserve any of it. And yet God gives it to us anyway. And all of those things, all of those good gifts that we receive, all of them are to be pointing to the fact that we've been given the best gift and so this season, I, I, I want you to remember that God didn't reserve the best gift for someone else, but He gave it freely to you. You didn't get the worst gift. You got the best gift. You got the most costly gift. You got the gift that you desperately needed more than any other gift. It's for you. And I would say if you really want to be overwhelmed with that gift, then spend some time meditating on the fact of what God has done for you in Christ and how he sent his perfect and only son for you. Secondly, we see from Mary that God's love is enduring. Mary goes on to say this, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said, to our fathers. See, God's mercy isn't just a gift, but it's also an enduring gift. He's faithful to keep His promise of love to you. If you you keep going and reading on in Deuteronomy 7 where we just were, He goes on and He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. 
And he is the faithful God. Keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. God's love is steadfast. He hasn't given up on you. And that's what Mary's singing about. She knows that Jesus is proof that God has not failed us. And what she's doing is rehearsing to herself God's goodness and faithfulness to her. See, we need to do this often. We need to remember this regularly because we're so prone to forget about His love. We're so prone to base what we think His love has been to us based on what we've done. And, and when we do that, we begin to settle for the love that we receive from people around us, which oftentimes isn't enduring. It's not complete. It does fail us. Oftentimes it is not patient. But we settle for that love instead, and we crave love so deeply, but we forget the true source of it. And so we look to all these other places that aren't enduring, and we go, will this give me love? Will that give me love? And the answer, I'm sorry to say, is no. Not the kind you need. See, and when we do that, and we start giving our love away to other things rather than Him, the next step is that we reinterpret God's love through the lens of the imperfect love that we've received from those around us. And we go, well, if God really truly loved me, then my parents would have been better to me when I grew up. And if He really truly loved me, then then I, I would have had a spouse. And if He really truly loved me, He would have sent me a different spouse. And if he really truly loved me, he, w- he would have given me kids. And if he really truly loved me, he would have been giving me better kids or more kids. Or, right? I mean, we all qualify it. And we go, if God loved you, if God loved me. See, what have we done? We've reinterpreted God's love through the lens for which he never intended us to do that. The only lens through which we can view God's love and see it for what it is, is the cross. And God sending His perfect and only Son to die in your place, the death that you deserved and He didn't, the death that He freely went to, to experience for you so that you could have life and, and, and live with Him. And that's good news, isn't it? God doesn't base His love for you on your faithfulness to Him. God bases his love for you on who he is. That's good news for me because I often just struggle to love people well. I, I'm not always faithful to my word. I'm not always loving in my response to people. I don't always respond as I should or in the way that I should. And God's graciously showing me so many areas this year that I need to change, but at the same time He's showing me those areas, He's also showing me how gracious He's been to me in loving me this year. Have you experienced that? See, it's important to know because unless you realize that God loves you, even when you aren't faithful, then your love for others will always be based on how well they're performing. You'll give mercy to people that you believe deserve that mercy rather than those people that need mercy the greatest. And you'll end up judging people for their wrongdoings rather than praying for them to be forgiven and extending grace to them in their time of need. You'll end up gossiping about people rather than looking for ways to build them up in love. 
You see how the two are connected? Let me ask you this. Is that how God has treated you? No. His love for you is so much greater than that. The only way that we get to give a different response is when we've received a different response from a God who loves us and endures in that love even when we don't deserve it. Third, God's love is sacrificial. It's a gift. It's enduring and it's sacrificial. The best example that we have of this is one of the verses that we're all most familiar with, right? It's John 3.16. You see it everywhere, right? Somebody goes into the end zone, like you probably saw it yesterday at a college football game if you were watching those. And somebody's holding up a sign that says John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, here's the thing. That, that verse sometimes becomes so familiar to us that it just washes over us. Okay, God sent his son. You know, thanks, Jesus. Christmas, right? And then on to, like, gifts and, and all the other stuff. One of the best ex- explanations of that verse, I think that really brings it home, is, is if this is John 3.16, it would be John, uh, 1 John 3.16, which is John's letter to the church trying to get them to understand the kind of love that God has when he sent his son. And so John says this in this letter. He says, this is how we know what love is. How do you know what love is? This is how we know. It's the only source. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And if we understand that love, if we've received that love, here's the response. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He goes on to say this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Love is an action. And it's a sacrificial action that costs in order to give. So what John's saying is the way, the way that we'll know if we're walking in the love that he has for us, the way that we, we, we can examine our lives and see whether or not the love of God is within us, active and, and present in our lives, is that it'll be manifested in the way that we love others. The way that we care for others, the way that we use our time for others and our resources for others. In other words, we'll know that we're tapped into his love because we'll see the needs around us and we won't just pass them by. We'll make tangible sacrifices in order to meet those needs. It'll cost us in order to do it. I don't know about you, my tendency is to do the minimum required amount and then to call it love. So I have a list in my head in terms of people that need to be loved and what needs to happen. And if I can check off the minimum requirement, then I can write love at the bottom of my list. Anybody else ever do that? Just me. Good. <laughs> Let me ask, though. I, this is a great time of year to do this. Have you slowed down enough to ask, what, 
what does sacrificial love look like to those around me this Christmas? What does it look like in my life? Who are the people that have needs? See, so oftentimes this time of year, we just we want to check the box off. And so we've got a list of people that need gifts. And so we'll, we'll go down the list and just make the easiest purchase possible, you know? Gift cards for everybody. And I'm not saying gift cards are necessarily bad. If you want to get me one, that's, um, I'll, I'll receive it. But I'm saying, do we think through the people in our lives and ask ourselves, what, is it, what would it look like to, to love them in such a way that it would cost me something? And I'm not just talking about 25 bucks. Who are the people? See, I'm convinced that if we really consider that question well, we would start to love them differently. We would start to ask people what they truly need rather than assuming what they need and just giving it anyway. This time of year is also when we do an Advent conspiracy, right? When we ask all of us to really consider all of our giving and say, how can we cut back some giving here so that we can give to those who really need it? So I would, I would ask you, I would implore you, please, don't just ask, what can we afford this year? But ask, God, what sacrifices do you want us to make so that children in Haiti can read and write? What sacrifices do we need to make so that people who are enslaved in a system of poverty might actually get out of that for the very first time in their entire history? So that's a loving question, right? Do we have the time to ask it? What if we said, God, I don't just want to give the minimum this year. I want to give in accordance with what you've given me. Because you've given me the best gift there is. It's an enduring gift and it's a sacrificial gift that I didn't earn for myself. Therefore, what can I do? Where are the needs? How have you positioned me uniquely to meet those needs? What is that for you? I would ask that you'd spend some time asking the Spirit. And, and maybe the Spirit of God is already pressing something on your heart. Please write it down. Please write it down. Because you're more likely to actually fulfill what He's asking you to do if you see it somewhere on paper. But if it's a momentary thought and it just flies out the other ear, then you may not actually be listening to the Spirit of God. And as the people of God, here's what we're called to do. We're constantly called to be listening for God to go, here's what's next, and then be faithful in it. Because as we're faithful in it, He's going to go again, here's what's next. So let's be faithful with the here's what's next. Because I'm convinced that God does this. I'm totally, utterly convinced that God actively, presently leads His people. Are we listening? I tell you what, it's going to probably cost us in terms of our resources, and it's certainly going to cost us in terms of our time. Remember last year um, on on Christmas Day, we didn't have uh, anything going on in the evening. Normally we we get together with Mandy's family, um, but I think think Mandy's mom was working that day, and so we, we were back in New Jersey, and somebody 
um, who, who often spends Christmas Day alone, uh, extended an invitation to us to come and have dinner with her and her boyfriend and her, and her two girls. And, and we, we looked and we were like, it's not what we had planned, but yeah, we've got the margin to do it. We'd love to come. What can we bring? And I remember she was like shocked that we said yes. It was like, I, the whole day is like, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. It's Christmas Day. You're spending it with us. And I'm like, yeah, of course. We had the ability to do it, and, and we love to walk in it. Who is God calling you to spend time with? There are people that are going to spend this Christmas season alone. Are we going to love them with our time? There are children in Haiti who are enslaved to poverty and can't read or write. Are we going to love them with our resources? So I'm, I'm not trying to do this to guilt you. I'm just trying to say to you, have you received the gift of God's love in Jesus? If the answer is yes, then you're going to be compelled to love others in a sacrificial way. And so there's... Just even this week, as you're thinking about it, I'd love for you to ask yourself these questions. First off, have I received the gift of God's enduring sacrificial love? That's first. Because if you try to do the other ones, forget it. You're going to get burned out and resentful at everyone. You need to get the first question answered first. After you have the first question answered, then I would ask you, do I tend to love in such a way that it's a gift? Or do I tend to love with stipulations put on it? What kind of love do I extend to people? Third question. Where do I need to endure in love? And, and where have I been prone to give up? Maybe you've been loving people, but it's been a really tough go. And you're just tired. And, and you feel like the, the, the time has come to just time out, quit. I need to put that love on the shelf because I can't give it anymore. Where is God calling you to endure in your love? And then last, the fourth question, where are you calling, God asking this, where are you calling me to sacrifice out of love this week? Who are you calling me to do that with and what does it look like? And here's the thing, it's going to cost you something. So, if you're not willing to pay the cost for what God has asked you to do, go back to question number one. Have I received the gift of God's enduring, perfect love? That's the only way we answer the question. If I have received it, then ask God to, to give you more of it so that you could be faithful to walk out the question of being sacrificial in your love this week. Because he may call you to love someone that you really don't like. He may call you to love someone that you have a history with and you just don't want to go there. Please, 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 I'm, I'm begging you. Remember the love that He's given you. And then in response, with His power, love others. See, whenever you find yourself having difficulty with living out a sacrificial love, you've got to go back to the first question. Because that's who God is. He's love. And he's poured his love out on you. I hope you believe that today. Because if you believe it, here's what's going to happen. It's going to lead you to live a different kind of life. Who wants a different kind of life?
Who wants the new life that Jesus came to die for and, and rose again to give us the power to live? I want that life. Let's ask him for it. Okay? Father, we thank you, God, that you have shown a new kind of love for us. That you give us a new definition of love and you say, this is what love is. Jesus Christ came and he laid down his life for us. So God, we thank you for that gift of love. Sometimes I, it just becomes so common to us, God. And I pray, Spirit, that you would not let it be common. Pour that love into our hearts again. Make it real to us. And when we find ourselves having difficulty loving others, especially this season where there's so much brokenness and all the relational stuff that we've been burying maybe for the other 11 months of the year just becomes bubbling to the surface because we've got to spend time with people, help us to remember the love that you've loved us with so that we might give a different kind of love this season. You're our only hope for that. So we trust in you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.